I'm just impressed so much by you folks um, being a part of this church is overwhelming in my heart sometimes um, I, th I think of, of, of John that wrote this I think about how he started writing, you know, about about Jesus. He said, "I I know him. I know I I walked with him. I ate with him. I I know this guy." And then it says, when, when we were starting to study this in the Book of Revelation, the first chapter, he, he started writing about his head, his hair, but it was different. It was it was now the glorified Lord. He he had never really seen this before. He wrote about his feet and, his, and he heard his voice and, and his right hand, his mouth and his face. He says, gosh, the best he could do, he says, it's, it was like the sun shining in its strength. And when he turned around and saw him, he fell at his feet as a dead person. But, but, right then, immediately, we read that Jesus laid his right hand upon John. He said, don't be afraid. Today we are, we are going to look into a scripture that speaks to difficulties that we have in our lives. I, I couldn't be your pastor and your friend if I didn't tell you the truth as, as far as I understand it. And I, and I couldn't be a, a teacher of the Word of God if I didn't preach everything that came our way. That's why it's the best way to preach through the Bible is through the Bible. Therefore, you don't get an opportunity to say, mm, that's going to be difficult on these people. I don't think I can preach that. We don't have that choice. We've got to preach the whole counsel of God's Word. And the reason being is because you're smart enough to know that two and two are four. And you will make sense of what God is saying in your heart and to your heart. And when you understand and you come to, to hear and see Him in that fashion, then you'll make the decision to follow or love Him or not. But that's, that'll be a choice that you can make. And woe to anybody that doesn't preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. And so we are now going to talk about a church called Smyrna. If you remember last week, though, let's touch on the, the church at Ephesus because we are going to learn from every church. What we learned from them was a very, very, very difficult truth. Jesus Christ said this to them in verse 4 of chapter 2. Do you remember? He says, But this I have against you. I hope and pray that none of us will hear that from our Lord. That this I have against you. Whatever it is that you and I have done in our lifetime, that our Lord can say to us, this I have against you. He says you, you, you left your first love. And we preached on that. We, we preached on the, the extreme importance of of, of really having a love for Jesus Christ that goes beyond anything and, and everything that we might know in our lives. I remember, if this is relevant, so be it. If it's not, so be it. But 
I remember our kids, we, we had a family meeting. It was one of those, we had family meetings often. We sat and we talked. And we, 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 we really encouraged the kids, even though they were young and quite small, to, um, to talk to us, to tell us what they're feeling, what they're thinking, so that we can all be in this together. You know, I, I told my son and my daughter when they were old enough, you know, I've never raised kids before. I, I don't know what this is like. I'm, I'm, <clears throat> this is my first shot. You're, you're my experiment. <laughs> And, and, and one of our kids, I won't mention who, kind of backtalked his mom. <laughs> I said his, didn't I? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It usually was John Mark. Uh, no, he's a great young man. I am proud to be his dad. But uh, he did, and <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I could really, anyways. Anyways, I, I, we sat down with the family and, and I, I let, let our children know that I loved their mother more than anything else on the face of this earth, except for one thing. And I told them that I love the Lord Jesus Christ more than I do them and more than I do their mother. And I said, but don't worry. I said, the more I love him, the more I will love you. And I've made that kind of a bow. It's kind of my, my whole idea of wearing a watch that beeps. You know, I, I think I bought this watch really at Target or something, you know, for about five bucks. Bought a couple of them. Wished I bought about ten because I started giving them away because everybody liked them. And uh, um, I went and buy, buy a couple more so I could give them away to some of my friends and I felt like I was being gypped. I went back and they were eight bucks or something. <laughs> that old man, that's, they went up. Anyways, um, the reason I, I buy these cheap watches is so that they'll beep every hour. In fact, in two and a half minutes, it's, in my watch, it's going to be 11 and it'll beep. And it is a reminder for me in my life, what am I doing and how am I living for the Lord? Do I love Him? And when I hear it beep in my home, I, have it, I don't always wear it, but I have it in the room. I, it beeps throughout the room. I can hear it. And it's my reminder how am I living for the Lord at this moment? And so we tried to talk last week about the great importance of not, of not leaving your first love. If, if there's anything else we can learn here at this church and we can grab a hold of that and hold on to it tightly, that'd be wonderful. But we also saw how important it was for us to be overcomers. We saw that those who overcome, Jesus promised salvation, but also rewards. And I wrote down... If you're in chapter uh, 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, if you remember in verse 7 it states, the one who overcomes is going to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Who, who of us don't want that? In verse 11, as we're going to see today, it says the person who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. And you'll want to know that and understand that a little more as we walk out of here today. In verse 17 we learn that in, in chapter 2 that the one who overcomes will be given hidden manna, be given a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one knows but you alone. Verse 26, 27, and 28, Jesus says to the overcomers, He will give authorities over nations and, and the morning star. And then in chapter 3 and verse 5, to those who overcome, they will be clothed in white garments. Our names will not, our names will not, our names will not be erased from the book of life. And Jesus will confess our name before His Father 
and before his angels. Can you even imagine? I can't. I mean, how am I going to explain that when we get to that? Who can even imagine? Verse 12 tells us that we will be overcomers and we will be pillars in the temple of God. We won't go out from it anymore. He'll write upon us the name of God, the city of God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven, and Jesus' new name. And in verse 21 of chapter 3, we see to those who overcome, we will be able to sit down with him upon his throne. So naturally, we wanted to look closely last week at what was an overcomer. We wanted to know, can we become overcomers? And the answer very loudly came, yes. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, we learned that the that, that the victory of, of overcoming the world is our faith. Our faith in, in Jesus Christ allows us to be overcomers. And then we saw that these seven churches mentioned in chapters 2 and 3 are extremely important because to each church, Jesus is is showing a reflection of ourselves, how we can improve or how we can continue on in what we're doing. We learned last week that this warning he has against us, let's not leave our first love. And so he says to those who have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the, to the churches. So we need to listen. Well, we come to a church in chapter 2, that is one of the two seven churches that does not receive a rebuke from our Lord. This church went through tremendous trials and must have gone through faithfully. And He, our Lord, really um, just, just loves on them. But they've been through things that perhaps you and I would not want to go through. But we all go through trials. And that's what today's message is about. It's about trials. Read with me, please, verses 8 through 11. It says, To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The first and the last, who was dead and has come to life, says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Father, uh, again we see those who overcome receive a tremendous gift. Not to be hurt by the second death is an amazing event in, in our lives as believers. May we understand what that means. And Father, I want to thank you for this church at Smyrna. It gives us hope that we do not have to be a church that is rebuked by you, but, but that can live out our lives in a, in a fashion that would be pleasing to you. 
I, I desire that for us, Father, more than, more than I can even express. I, I desire that we be a people who are faithful to you, please, Lord. So as we learned last week, let us not be a people that you would have this against us, that we have left our first love. Let us uh, repent and come back and walk with you so that you would not remember any of our sins anymore. All right, Father, please bless us. Move me aside. Let us get into your word and, and sense your presence more than, more than anything else. Father, may we hear from you. So move me out of the picture, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, very interestingly, as we've just read, Smyrna went through difficulties. Now, Smyrna means myrrh, if you translate it out, which offers the uh, idea of suffering. So it appears, in fact, we know that the church in Smyrna went through some very intense persecution. Um, but it seems interesting to me, and not taught very often from, from the pulpit, is that Scripture links persecution, trials, and suffering with spiritual strength, with spiritual growth, with spiritual endurance, and if you can imagine, even perfection and joy. One of the familiar words about suffering is written in James chapter 1, verses 2, through 3, and 4. In fact, if on, your, on your weekly, um, um, what we go through our what do we call it? Uh, sermon base, sermon base study. Thank you so much, Jeff. At least I heard you. Sermon base study. Um, we have the verses out, and, and there's questions that you need to might go through, and and and, and things that'll help you on this particular study we're going through right now. But they're also up on the wall for you to see, so that you can kind of write these things down. James wrote these fabulous, familiar words of those going through trials. And when I first read it, when I was young in my faith, I, I, I was under the assumption that if I came to Christ, everything in my life was going to get better. I didn't know. I wasn't taught. And so James writes, Consider it all joy, my brethren, speaking to, to Christians, brethren, Fellow believers, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. I'm thinking, are you crazy? Who put that in here? That can't be right. Why would I consider it joy when I encounter trials? Well, he says, because knowing that the testing of your faith is going to produce something special in you. Endurance, it says. And the endurance is going to have a perfect result in your life, John, so that you might become perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. And so it is taught that, that trials that you and I go through are to be considered a joy. When, when Paul taught us when he, in Philippians, and, and, and he taught us that, that he learned to be content in whatever circumstance he found himself, that he, he said, I can do all things through Christ who will strengthen me. That's the lesson that, 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 that ought to be taught here today. That you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And so therefore you can consider it a joy when you go through a trial because the Lord will test your faith, produce endurance in you, and, and this endurance is going to have a perfect result in your life. 
And Paul tells us in 2 Timothy, up there on the wall, you see chapter 3 and verse 12, the trials are inevitable to every one of us who want to walk with the Lord. He says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But listen to Peter's words of comfort after you go through these trials. He says it in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, after he says you have suffered for a, a little while, the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. Yes, there is a rainbow after the storm. So the church at Smyrna displayed power, purity, faithfulness that comes from those who successfully endure persecution or trials or tribulation. This is a difficult truth to teach, but it seems that persecution purified the church from sin, purged it too, and affirmed their commitment to their faith. You see, to an unbeliever, or someone who is just kind of weak in their faith, someone who just doesn't seem to want to grow in their walk with Jesus Christ, will not normally stay to face persecution. No, because... They don't see the value in enduring the process of a trial. You and I need to understand there is a value. You are going to go through it. All of us who desire to live a godly life are going to be persecuted to one degree or another. So we need to, to hang in there. We, not, we need not lose, or excuse me, leave our first love of Christ. You see, scripture, scripture teaches that trials and persecution will strengthen and refine you and me. Now, though the people in Smyrna, the church there, suffered hardship, even poverty, they still clung to their faith. That's what I'm going to try to convey to you this morning. And through that, they gained immeasurable spiritual riches. In verse 9, Jesus said to them, Look, I... I know what you're going through. We learned before in Hebrews that he sees everything. Nothing escapes his eyes. So he says, I know your tribulations. I know your poverty, he says. But he says, you're rich. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. So what do we see? I want to I see more about the trials. Fittingly, we see that the church at Smyrna was one of the Two of the seven churches that received no rebuke from our Lord, I want that from us. I want that for you and me. I want us to be a church that, that, that remains faithful. Smyrna was located only about 35 miles north, north of the church at Ephesus. It also was a busy, beautiful seaport town. But scattered throughout its city were heathen temples, temples that they, they did the most despicable things. There was a temple to Zeus, to Diana, to Aphrodite, to Apollo. They, they did the most despicable things in these temples. 
And in the midst of this atmosphere, in this city, it is obvious that the church at Smyrna held its ground, even though it was going through much persecution. So Jesus begins by saying to them what he would say to you and me. He says in verse 8, he reminds them that he is the first, look at verse 8, the first and the last. In other words, he is God Almighty. He not only is the first and the last, he says, here is who I am. I am the one who was dead and has come back to life. It's Jesus. You can't make any mistake about it. He identifies himself as the eternal God who is the first and the last, the one who was dead and the one who has now come back to life. That's, the first and the dead is, is a mention of, of, of our Lord throughout Scripture, Old Testament as well as New. I picked out only one verse, and it was the only one that was really needed to kind of to kind of drive home the point. It was in Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 6. It says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. He says, I am the first and I am the last. We've heard that. And then he says, And there is no God beside me. He's the only God that you and I are to worship. Now either that's the truth or it's not. And so Jesus confirms that, as we read just a little while ago, out of chapter 1 of Revelation, verses 17 and 18, when he said to John, when John fell at his feet as a dead man, he said, don't be afraid, I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. I was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys, he says, to death and to Hades. Most likely due to the great persecution that Smyrna was going through, he reminded them that he is the one who was dead and has come to life, and he holds the key to eternal life and death. Because with that simple but very powerful introduction of himself, Jesus reassures them, and you and me, all of us, who are going through difficulties, that he, God, he is the one who is holding the key to death and life. And, and you and I will not be harmed if we have trusted in him. Because look what he says in verse 11. To the one who overcomes, the ones who believe in him. We've already learned what it is to be an overcomer. We've overcome the world by faith. You, he says in verse 11, shall not be hurt by the second death. Now what is that? Well... You can see what it is and if you hold your place here and just turn to Revelation chapter 20, right near the very end of this particular book, it, it talks about our Lord casting those who will not believe in Him into a place that's called the lake of fire, hell, which is called the second death. Look, it says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This, this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found, if anyone's name was not found, let me make this clear, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, they were thrown into this place called the lake of fire, hell. If ever I wanted my name written in a book, that's the, that's the book. That's the people who overcome. 
the victory that you and I have is through our faith. Our names will be written in the Lamb's book of life, and we are told it will not be erased. Man, man, oh man. So Smyrna, the church, has a very special message to every single one of us who are suffering. And it is given by Jesus Christ. And the, the message is, the world is not your friend, and neither are the world's solution. Jesus is making it clear, I am your solution, and I am your friend, and I will not allow you to be harmed by the second death. You see, Jesus suffered, therefore so shall we. And listen, listen, you don't need to turn there. Listen to John 15, verses 18 through 21, but you can if you would like to listen. I mean, read, read it for yourself, of course. But Jesus said, if the world hated me, no, excuse me. He says, if the world hates you, know this, it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of this world, he says, the world would love you. But because you're not of this world, in other words, because, he says, I chose you out of this world, because of this, the world will hate you. He says in verse 20 of John chapter 15, Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And then he says in verse 21, All of these things... They, they will do to you for my name's sake because they don't know the one who sent me. They don't know the Father. Listen, I have to tell you this, or I could not be your, your pastor, nor more importantly to me, your friend. Every single one of us who loves Jesus Christ shall one day experience some sort of hostility, some sort of trials, some sort of suffering to one degree or another. And so Peter says very wisely in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, look, he says, What credit is it if you sin and you therefore are harshly treated and you endure that with patience? He said, What credit is that? But he says, If you do what is right and you suffer for that and you endure it, he says, this will find favor with God. That's what happened to Smyrna. They were going through trials and tribulations, and they hung in there, and this is what found favor with them with God, why he didn't rebuke them. Then it says in verse 21 of 1 Peter chapter 2, you've been called for this purpose. What purpose? Why have I been called why am I a believer in you, Jesus Christ? He says, you've been called for this purpose, John. Since Jesus Christ suffered for you, he's left you an example for you to follow in his steps. Suffering is part of the life of a believer. And I am telling you that most pastors don't want to preach that message. It doesn't draw a crowd. None of us want to know that, oh, yeah, I want to accept Jesus and I want to suffer. No, I don't. No, I don't. I want to accept Jesus Christ, and I want my life to be a bowl of cherries the rest of the time. I don't want to have to worry about my finances. I don't want to have to worry about my health. I don't want to have to worry about any of that stuff. Jesus, I've come for that. And if you have, you've come for the wrong thing. 
because that's never been promised. I've got to preach this to you. And do I preach this to you to, to scare you off of your faith? God forbid, no. I want to be that voice out there that desires to tell you the truth, no matter the cost of God's word. Every Christian that ever walked the face of this earth goes through difficulties. In fact, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he said, look, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. In other words, don't be surprised you're going through these difficulties, whatever they are in your life. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, so that you might get endurance, so that you might become complete and perfect, lacking in nothing. Don't be surprised, he says, as though some strange thing was happening to you. And like, in other words, like you're the only one that's going through it. We, we all go through trials to one degree or another. So Peter wants to remind us, and I want to. I, I, can't, I cannot not, not teach that. Is that. That's probably way too many knots, but I've got to teach that. Now I want, I want to close, but I, I want to close with this statement from a parable in Matthew chapter um, 13. Please turn there. You can hold your, put a marker, whatever you do, just keep your place in the book of Revelation. But turn with me to a, a wonderful parable taught by Jesus Christ in the book of Matthew. It is in the 13th chapter. It is called the parable of the sower. We had, we had, had Rob, the fellow who journeyed off and and uh, was lost for about 24 hours and scared us half to death. I mean, me, I see everything, what, half empty? Oh, yeah, I, he was dead. I, I, I could see a bear eating him. You know. <laughs> and you're going you're gonna to absolutely love the story. Gentlemen, you're going to love the story when you come tomorrow night to hear from Wes Porter and to hear from Brent Slezak, how Brent was yelling and screaming for him uh, on this in this mountainous area, there nothing, nobody, nothing around, just yelling, Rob, Rob, and out of nowhere. Am I telling too much of this story, Wes? Am I revealing too much? He's yelling, Rob, Rob, and out in the distance he hears, hello. And he says, it's Rob. And he runs towards it. He found some people that were lost and, and, and just didn't know where they were. And he, he saved them. He was looking for Rob. God had him looking for these people, but he didn't know it. He didn't know what God was doing in his life. And so Rob taught this wonderful parable to us uh, some time ago. And I, I know you'll remember it, but I wanted to just review it with you for a moment, talking about why I, I want to be a voice that tells you the, the truth as far as I understand it. In Matthew chapter 13, and verse 19, it, or verse 18, it says, Hear then the parable of the sower. So Jesus tells this, this parable. and it, In verse 90, he says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, and I got that kind of so underlined in my Bible, doesn't understand it. You see, that's our purpose as a church, is, is to help you and me understand the things that we are learning when we study the word of God. None of us, not a one of us, nobody knows everything in here, only God. But we're learning. We're learning about Him so that we can understand Him more and, 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 and walk with Him in, in, a, in a much more, um, oh gosh, what's the word? 
with, walk with him in, in faith and in truth and, and in trust. And you need to know this one to, to walk with him. So it says in verse 19, if anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one will come. And then he will snatch. The evil one will snatch away what has been sown in that person's heart. Jesus said, this is the person on whom the seed was sown beside the road. Now he goes and tells us about the one that was sown in this rocky place. He says in verse 20, the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky place, this is the person, hears the word, and immediately receives it with joy. There's so many of you, perhaps, that come here and you've just got touched by God. You feel it. You feel as if He spoke to you. And you walk out of here and about three or four hours later you say, what was, what, what was that message? I don't, I don't remember it. The reason being is that there's no real root, as the Lord says. There's, there's, no, there's nothing in you that, that can take hold of the message that you hear from the Lord. Not me but from Him. And so it says in verse 21, even after verse 20, after He receives the word immediately with joy, in verse 21 it says, yet He has no firm root in Himself. It's only temporary, just a temporary joy. I don't want that for you. I want us to have joy all the time in our lives. And so when affliction it says in verse 21, or persecution comes because of the Word. And that's to me, is in of itself, is that amazing? The Word of God is going to bring trials? Why? So that you can grow? So that you can find joy in it? And you can find then endurance? And endurance will have its perfect result in you so that you will be complete and lacking in nothing? And so when this affliction and persecution arise because of the Word, this person, because... It wasn't rooted in him. He immediately fell away. You see, to follow God's word will bring about persecution in our lives. Make no mistake about that. You need to hear it. You need to understand it. But what I don't want you to do is to fall away. I, don't, I want you to hang in there. I want to hang in there. I want us to look. There's been times where I've gone through some deep waters, just like all of us have. And there's times where I wanted to just chuck it in. Just quit. But because of what, what Jeff said a little while ago about, about church, and that is like an ocean. We need people. We need people in rafts and, and, and with ropes and things to pull us back in. We need each other. And it was because of the fellowship that I had with the people around me that I knew and loved that, that I didn't just cash it in. And, and, I, and I, I hung in there. You see, we love you here at this church way too much not to tell you the truth. And I know one thing for certain. I know for certain. What God promises, He will see it through. He will allow you to handle the truth and handle whatever it is that you're going through. You might need all of us. We might need to be there for you. But you'll be able to take care of what you are going through now, I want to teach more on this, and so I will do so in a couple of weeks. But sufficient today that you, not, you need to know that there will be trials that come in your life. And don't feel like you're going through some strange ordeal, like nobody else is going through it. All of us, to one degree, have gone through some trials. 
Find your fellowship with one another. Find your strength in Christ. He is the first and the last. He is the one who was dead and has come back to life to live forevermore. And he has the keys to death and to Hades. And you and I and we will not be harmed by the second death. We will live with him forever. That's the hope. Father in heaven above. I love these people so much. Father, this was, as you well know, for my heart, a difficult thing. I, I like to do, tell good things. I like that a lot. So talking about trials and going through tribulation and, and difficulties is not something that, that, that I care to do, but Father, I'll do whatever you ask of me every time, any time. I will be there. I will be there, Father. And I will not shirk away. I promise you that. But please encourage the people as they walk from here. Please let them see the hope that they have in you. And Father, if there is anyone here, anyone that doesn't know you, may they not put that off. For the sake of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, may they come to trust and believe in you for the forgiveness of their sin. I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I love you all more than life itself.